Good morning, and thank you to our bell choir. It's such a joy to have them ringing during the Christmas season. It just adds, adds a lot to the atmosphere here, too. So thank you all for being a part of that. We were so glad you all are here to worship with us this morning at First Church in New Knoxville. Uh, we want to welcome any guests we may have with us here this morning, as well as our listeners on the radio. Um, it's a joy to, to gather here on the third Sunday of Advent, uh, looking forward to the joy of Christ during this Christmas season. We do have our children's Christmas program today. Uh, The program will begin at 10.30 a.m. Between church and the start of that program, we do invite you to gather over in the Heritage Room. Uh, The youth will be serving cookies and uh, some refreshments, and we invite you to stick around as the children get ready for the program and enjoy that time of fellowship together. We just want to remind you that with the Christmas program today and uh, and Christmas weekend and next week, there will be no children's Sunday school classes or adult Sunday school classes. Uh, they will resume their regular schedule on December 30th. That is two weeks from today. Uh, and, and speaking of Christmas, we do invite you uh, to our Christmas Eve candlelight service. The service begins at 7.30 p.m. Um, and as we've been doing the last few years, there is a musicale, a special half hour of music that begins at 7 p.m. for those that would like to come and enjoy some extra Christmas music that time of year. Um, we're so excited to have that part of our Christmas service again. Um, but we not only invite you, but we encourage you to invite family and friends to gather with us and worship that night as we celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. There's other announcements in your bulletin. I encourage you to take a look at those uh, and, and mark your calendars as needed. And uh, for our call to worship this morning, we do want to invite, invite forward Mark and Barb Howe for our uh, Advent wreath lighting. We worship God with joy in our hearts as we are reminded of the words Jesus spoke to his disciples. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. We light this candle to proclaim the coming of the light of God into the world. With the coming of this light, there is joy. Joy that is ours not only at Christmas, but always. Luke chapter 4, verses 16 to 21. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as, he was, his, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Let us pray. O Holy One, as Christmas draws near, 
There is a sense of excitement in the air. We can feel a joy in our lives and see it in those around us. Still, for some of us, this is a sad time because of unhappy things that have happened in our lives. Help us to have the joy that does not depend on earthly happiness, but on you. Help us to be filled with your joy so that we may share it with the world. Amen. Thank you. This time, if you're able, I invite you to stand and sing with us number 144, How Great Our Joy. This time we want to invite any children that are with us to come forward for children's chat with Miss Maria. While they're coming forward, please take a moment and greet your neighbor. Wow, you guys are looking very handsome and quite beautiful this morning. I'm so glad that you're all here. All right. I 
know. How cool is that? Well, I brought some things with me in my bag today. You see, I came across this poem, and this poem is meant for the big kids, but there's a lot that we can learn from it, too. But the poem is called Teach the Children the True Meaning of Christmas. So I'm going to take from that, and we're going to explore some things about Christmas, things that we find with us everywhere in our house. So what do we have here? Christmas tree. What color is my Christmas tree? Green. Green. Good job. Does anybody know what kind of a tree makes a Christmas tree? What, what do we call them? an evergreen? Very good. Why do you think an evergreen tree is called an evergreen tree? Because it's always green. Exactly. It's always green. Okay. And green is the second color of Christmas. The stately evergreen with its unchanging color represents the hope of eternal life in Jesus. And its needless points heavenward to as a reminder that man's thoughts should always go toward heaven. So if you ever look at a real live evergreen tree, the points go up. They're always going up to heaven and they stay green. They never die off like the deciduous trees. All right. What do we have next? A star. All right. The star is a heavenly sign of promise. God promised a Savior for the world. Who was that Savior? Jesus. Good. And the star was a sign of that fulfillment of that promise the night that Jesus was born. All right. Next, what color is my ornament? Red. Red Red is the first color of Christmas. Okay? Red is deep. It's intense. It's vivid. It's the color of life-giving blood that flows through our veins. This is the symbol of God's greatest gift. What was that greatest gift? When Jesus died on the cross for us, right, so that we can have eternal life, okay? So the red that we see on Christmas trees should remind us of that awesome gift. All right. Bells. Yeah, we like to hear the sound of bells at Christmas, don't we? Well, do you know the shepherds had bells? And that's how the sheep knew where to stay, Just as lost sheep are guided to safety by the children of the bell, it continues to ring today for all to be guided into God's fold, into God's family. Okay? One more thing. Two more things. Candle. Uh Uh-oh. It was supposed to come on, but it's not going to come on. We're going to pretend like it's lit. Okay? The candle represents... How man can show his thanks for the gift of God's son who was born on Christmas Eve. Okay? We need to let our lights shine so that everyone else can see God in us. Okay? And that, we have twinkling lights on our Christmas trees, right? Yeah. And so that, the lights on the Christmas tree shine like the hundreds of bright shining candles each of them representing one of us, God's children. Okay, last one. What do we have here? Candy, candy cane. Now, what happens if I turn my candy cane like this? It looks like a J. 
It looks like a J. And what does that J stand for? Jesus. Excellent. It stands for Jesus. Now, what happens if I turn it this way? Good. Reagan was listening to my story at preschool, so she kind of had a little advantage. It's the shepherd's crook, okay? Because the shepherds who took care of the sheep had this crook, and they used it to walk with, but they also would use it if a sheep got stuck. They would hook it around its neck and pull it out of wherever it was. Okay? Now, what color is my candy cane? Red white. Okay, let's talk about the white first. Why is the candy cane white? It stands for stands for Jesus, yeah, but the white is purity, okay? Jesus is good, okay? He never sinned. He never did anything wrong. Jesus is good. Now, what about the red? What does the red symbolize? Nope. Nope. His blood. And if you look real close on true candy canes, we have three thin stripes and one thick stripe, okay? And the three Small, thin stripes are the stripes of the scourging Jesus received by which we are healed. And the large red stripe represents the blood that Jesus shed so that we can have eternal life. Okay? So, we have all these things around us every day. And that's what they mean. And it's important that we remember why we do these things and why we decorate the way that we do. Okay? So let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the season of Christmas. Thank you that we have these symbols and that we can learn about them and teach them to our children so that they can pass it down from generation to generation. Because, Lord, these symbols remind us of you and they remind us of the awesomeness of Jesus' birth. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, guys. Have a good week. Lost this week in our service at Bagram Air Force Base in Afghanistan, Joshua Mikieski, 19, from Johnstown, Pennsylvania. At Hurlburt Field in Florida, Airman First Class Divine Dreshen Clark, 20, from Newport News, Virginia, and lost at sea after the crash of the KC-130 last week, the following Marines. Corporal Daniel E. Baker, 21, from Tremont, Illinois. Staff Sergeant Maximo Alexander Flores, 27, from Litchfield Park, Arizona. Corporal William C. Ross, 21, from Hendersonville, Tennessee. Lieutenant Colonel Kevin R. Hermann, 38, from New Bern, New Bern, North Carolina. Major James M. Brophy, 36, from Stottsburg, New York. Before we go to the Lord in prayer, I invite you to stand and join us in singing number 141, O Little Town of Bethlehem. We're going to sing verses 1 and 4, as it says in your bulletin.
seated. I invite you to pray with me. Well, Lord, you are our Emmanuel, our God with us. As we celebrate Advent and into the Christmas season, we are remembering the reality of, of, of our God, our Creator, the one who sustains the universe, um, chose to come and be born of a virgin, to, to live a life, Lord, in a complete obedience to you, our Heavenly Father. That your Son, Jesus Christ, lived and, and, and performed miracles and taught among, among your people. And ultimately, Lord, you died on the cross. You rose again from the grave in order to bring us eternal joy, eternal peace, Lord, that comes from being part of your kingdom. And so, Lord, we, we remember that and we hold on to that promise that you are a God who does not ignore his people, that does not ignore the realities of this life. Uh, but you, are, you have chosen to enter into this life with us and that you are here even now by your spirit. Your presence is here in this place. So we thank you for that. And we, we pray now that uh, as we go through this Christmas season, that we would be able to experience your joy in ways that we have never experienced before. Lord, we pray that prayer especially for those who are, who are going through difficult times. Uh, we pray for those who have lost loved ones recently, that this may be the first Christmas, Lord, without a parent, a spouse, a child, a friend. And so we pray, Lord, that, that your presence in their life would bring them joy even in the midst of that hardship and even in the midst of that pain. Lord, we also acknowledge that there are, are Christians around the world in places, Lord, that uh, are experiencing persecution. Uh, we especially think of our brothers and sisters in Christ in China at this time who have uh, been arrested and are, are facing persecution there. We pray, Lord, that they would be able to experience joy unlike any other, even in the midst of that persecution. And Lord, we understand that all this is possible only because of your Spirit's presence with us, your Son's death on the cross, and your great love for us. And so we, we acknowledge that this morning. Um, we also lift up those concerns that are in front of us today in our own community, in our own church family. Um, Lord, in the same way that, that your joy can be a source of strength for, for the persecuted church and for those who have lost loved ones recently, your joy can be a source of strength for those who are in need of healing, for those who are in need of your provision and your care. And so we ask, Lord, that you would help them to experience joy even now and, and ask for that you would provide all that is needed for them in these moments. We pray all these things in the name of Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This time I want to invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward as the choir sings, Come to My Heart.
You may be seated. Our scripture reading today is from Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 18, as well as Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. I invite you to follow along in your own Bible or one of the pew Bibles that's provided for you. Luke chapter 3, beginning with verse 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. And then some soldiers asked him, what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in, the hand to, is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. And from Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 through 20. Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and reproach for you. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. And at that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth. When I restore your fortunes before your very eyes, says the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to to be here this morning and as your people to gather to worship you. I pray that as we take a look at your word and what it has in store for us this day, I pray that you would help us to uh, realize and experience your joy like none other. I pray that your spirit would give me words to speak and that you'd open up all of our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today. It's in Christ that we pray. Amen. We've already heard several times through this service that our uh, Advent candle this morning uh, has to do with joy, the joy that we receive and we can experience through Christ. And I want to take a moment before we jump into to talk about what that joy looks like and how we can experience that for ourselves. I think it's important for us to distinguish between happiness and joy. I think we often blur the lines there. Uh, we talk about, and, and so much of our life is centered around pursuing happiness, isn't it? 
Happiness, in, in, in a sense, is, is temporal. It's something that is, is in the moment, and it, and it only is it's short-sighted, if you think about it. And I'm not saying it's wrong or, or bad to be happy. We all want to experience happiness, don't we? It's a good thing, and it's, it's something that we should all pursue as best as we're able in a way that honors God and honors each other. Uh, but happiness, in a sense, is, is, is based on external circumstances. And think about that for a moment. We are happy when we experience good things in life. Josephine and Miles are happy when they get the things that they want, right? And, and let's be honest with ourselves, it's not just children, it's adults too. We're happy when we get the things that we want. A promotion, a raise, um, uh, uh, good family situations, right? When we get to gather with our family and friends at Christmas time, that can bring us happiness. But at its core, happiness is very self-centered if you think about it. It's all about me and what I want, and it's all about the things that make me happy. And, and in a sense, um, those things can come and go, right? Our happiness is, is based on what we are going through in the moment. And so you get the things you want, you experience things that bring you happiness, and, and everything's wonderful. But the moment those things are taken away, right, our happiness goes with it. Our happiness is gone because our external circumstances have changed. And so happiness is good, but it's not going to see us through the most difficult moments of life because in those moments, our happiness will be gone, right? We're not going to necessarily be happy the moment we roll out of bed in the morning when we're experiencing difficulties, when we're experiencing hardships. And that's where joy enters in. Because joy, like happiness, is, is a good thing, but joy is so much more profound. It's, it's much more lasting than happiness because joy is not based on our external circumstances. See, the reality is that we can be joyful when we can experience joy even through the darkest moments of life because our joy is not based on those external circumstances. And so when things begin to go and break the other way, uh, when, when hardships come about, or even when we just have a bad day, we can still experience joy uh, because it's not based on the experiences or the conditions around us, but it's eternal. It's something that is lasts, it lasts more than, than, than the ex- experiences that we're going through on any particular day, and it even lasts beyond this life because joy is not based in and of ourselves, it's based in our relationship with Christ. And that is something that cannot be taken away. That's not something that can be stripped from you. No matter what you go through, you can still experience joy because it is Christ-centered. It is Christ-focused. And he promises to never leave or abandon us. You know, with the news of, of these Chinese Christians, these brothers and sisters in Christ being persecuted this week, I couldn't help but think of some of the examples we have from the book of Acts of, of people like Paul and Peter and Silas going through some really hard times, being arrested, being beaten, being persecuted, being driven out of town, all because of their, their, their willingness to, to preach Christ and share the gospel with others. And there's one uh, example in particular that is just fascinating to me and that they've been arrested, they've been thrown in jail. I believe it's Paul and, and Silas at this time. And um, fact check me if you want to try to pull this off the top of my head. Uh, but they, they're arrested and they're thrown in jail. And, and how do they spend their time in that prison? They sing 
hymns and praise God in that experience. That's not something you can do when you're, when you're, when your happiness is based in your external, external circumstances. They had every right to be mad and angry and mourn and, and, and just be ticked off at the world. But that's not what they did. They sang hymns of joy. They praised God in spite of their circumstances. And that's something that can only be done when our joy is rooted in Christ and rooted in something that's eternal. And so we're going to look today at what that, how we can have that joy and what that looks like for us. See, lasting joy is ultimately found in our relationship with Jesus Christ. We see that in, in the passage from Zephaniah. This Old Testament prophet was looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Christ, and the joy that is experienced through that relationship there. And there's two reasons he gives for that joy. The first is because our punishment is removed. When we, when we experience Christ, when we are, are entering a relationship with Him, our sin is forgiven. And therefore that punishment that we rightly deserve because of our sin has been removed from us. Christ took that upon Himself on the cross. And so we no longer have to fear the judgment of God. You see, sin deserves punishment. Holiness demands justice. And a good and just and holy God uh, provided a way for us to be forgiven through Christ. It's not that he erased the punishment. He didn't say sin was no big deal. He said sin is a such a big deal. Sin is taken so seriously that, that he is going to, as he himself, God himself is going to step into human history and take that sin upon himself through Christ on the cross. He took it so seriously that he, he, he took the punishment upon himself so that we could be forgiven. And so we don't have to fear and we can experience joy because through Christ our punishment is removed. And we receive His blessings instead. The blessings of perfect obedience. The blessings of a righteousness that is not our own. We receive through Christ. And what better reason to rejoice than, than knowing that our sins have been forgiven. And that we can stand before our God and our Creator with a clean slate because of what Christ has done for us. There is an ultimate source of joy there that can never be taken away. And the second part of it is, is, is a reason to rejoice as well. Not only has our punishment been removed, but, but God promises to be with His people. The Lord Himself promises to enter into a relationship and be among His people. The, the great Emmanuel, the God with us. You see, it's God's presence with His people that, that makes all the difference. And that's not just something we see in the New Testament. It's something that ranges from the entire uh, scope of Scripture. We see God's presence with His people in the garden with Adam and Eve. And it was that presence that they enjoyed uh, before sin entered in the world. And even after, after the original sin and even after the effects of sin took hold, it was still God's presence among His people that that distinguished them from all the other peoples of the earth. After Moses, uh, in the, as Moses was receiving the law from Mount, on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 34, um, he asked that the Lord would go with his people. In Exodus chapter 34, um, oh, I wrote down the wrong verses. <laughs> it's not verses 15 through 17, because that is not where I was going with that one. Um, Uh, 
Well, I will give you the gist of it instead of trying to scan my Bible and find the right verses there. I apologize for that. Um, uh, Moses pleads with God. Uh, the, the golden calf had been cast, and, and God's people had, at the base of the mountain, had had sinned against God. Even as Moses was receiving the word from uh, on Mount Sinai, and so and so God, uh, Moses begs God, "Don't don't leave us. Don't forsake us. Be with us. Be your people." He says. Uh, how are, how will we be any different than the rest of the people if your presence does not go with us? And it's in that moment that God promises Moses. He says, I will go with you. I will be among my people. And he establishes a way for that to happen through the temple and through the sacrifices that take place there. And then we see at the end of our scriptures in Revelation the promise that God makes to his people in the new heaven and the new earth. And I know for a fact that this one is correct. Uh, Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. This is the vision that John receives of what that new heaven and that new earth will be like. And notice what the, the defining characteristic is. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, Uh, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Creation began with Adam and Eve in the garden experiencing God's presence in a way that was not affected by sin. And even with sin entering the world, God provided a way for, for his presence to be with his people, first through the temple and the sacrifices there, and then ultimately through the coming of Christ that we celebrate at Christmas, God himself with his people. Now we experience that presence through the Holy Spirit, who God sent to be with his people, to, to indwell in his people and in his church. And finally, one day, when the kingdom does come in its fullness and sin is once again removed completely from this creation, we will experience God's presence once more. It's his presence that brings us joy and guarantee, and, and it's his presence that we experience that can, that can sustain our joy even through the most difficult time. And it's amazing because this Zephaniah passage also reminds us that, that not only do we find joy in God, but, but God finds joy in us. He delights in his people. See, a common conception of religion in general at that time, and I would say even carries over today, is that, that the gods are angry at us, right? And that we must therefore do something to appease them. We must offer sacrifices. We give things in order for the gods to, to no longer be angry, to at least tolerate us at best. And so that's why all these, you see all these religions around the people, around Israel at the time, were all about doing the right thing in order to, to, to appease their, their God of their, their choosing. But that's not the case in, we see with the God of Israel, the God we find in scripture. We find in this case that God delights in us, not because of what we have done, but because the simple fact that He created us. You know, we can't earn it. It's not like God was lacking anything. We don't complete him in some way. 
No, God chooses to delight in you simply because he created you. He chooses to share his joy and his love with his people. God delights over us with singing. He is our strength. He is our sustainer. And it's because of that relationship that we can experience joy. You know, we don't bring anything to the table when it comes to our relationship with God. He is complete and, and whole and, and in and of himself. We don't need to do anything in order to bring him joy. He simply is, he wants to share his joy with us. And in John chapter 15, Jesus spells that out in more, uh, a more straightforward way. In John 15, verses 9 through 17, speaking to his disciples, he says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be complete. Excuse me, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love is no one than this, that they should lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command to love each other. Notice there what Jesus says. He says, it's my joy that is made complete in you as you seek after me, as you you follow my commands, as you learn to love one another. It's God's joy becoming real in our own lives as we seek after him. And again, that's a joy that, that goes beyond our circumstances. It's a joy that can last through the deepest, darkest valleys of our lives because it's not dependent on us. It's joy that comes from knowing Christ. And it's His joy in us. Last week we looked at the first part of Luke chapter 3 and and the call for us, if we want to experience peace in this life, we need to know Christ. We need to repent from our sins and and find forgiveness in Him and that's where we find ultimate peace. Excuse me, But that's just the starting point. It's a good starting point, of course, but, but we don't want to just end there. In Luke chapter 3, um, John, the, the story of John the Baptist goes on to talk about how we, how we live that out. And, and in doing so, we will find joy. So if you want to turn in your Bibles over to that passage we read earlier from Luke chapter 3, we're going to spend the rest of our time looking at that. The first thing that John does, notice here, as people begin to hear his message and gather around uh, one of the first things he does is he confronts the complacency of the people in a very uh, dramatic way, which is what John was known for. He confronts the people that are coming to hear what he says. He says, who told you to repent? Who told you to come and, and hear this message? And there's two things that he's confronting here, I want to say, and two dangers that we have as well when it comes to our faith. One, the, first, the first thing that he confronts is that this idea of, of good works devoid of repentance. Notice he says we need to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. It's not just good works themselves, but it's good works that are a reflection and response to the forgiveness we receive in Christ. We don't deserve forgiveness based on our good works, but it's our good works that will often be the evidence and point towards the forgiveness that we have received in Christ. So it's not our good works themselves, but it's, but it's the response 
to what we've received from Christ. The other, the other danger that we often fall into is, is this idea that we can inherit our faith from our ancestors. All right, he says, he confronts this idea that just because they were Abraham's descendants, they were somehow um, pre-qualified to be part of God's kingdom. And we fall into this trap as well. We depend on the faith of our parents. We depend on the faith of someone else that has been influential in our life. When what God really wants is for us to embrace and engage that faith for ourselves. We can't depend on someone else. We need, we need to experience that joy for ourselves. And so, and so John here is encouraging them to, to repent and, and to experience the forgiveness that we talked about last week, but then to take it a step further and to then live in response to that forgiveness. And so, in a sense, then, we find joy when we are obedient to the one that we love. We find joy in our obedience to Christ in the same way that we often find joy in our obedience to a loved one in our own lives, whether that's a spouse, our parent, or sometimes even a child in a situation like that. You know, it's not a burden necessarily to please the one you love. It's not a burden to go out of your way to do something for a loved one. And the reason isn't because of the, 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 the task or the job itself, but it's because of the love that motivates you to do it. So in the same way, this fruit in keeping with repentance, is, it should bring joy to our lives because we are doing it in response to the love and the mercy and the forgiveness that we find in Christ. And notice I've said this already, but it's, it's good to highlight it's a response, not a prerequisite. It's, it's in response to what God has done for us, not in order to earn his love. You see, the world says, give everything, sacrifice everything in order to experience joy and love and hope and peace. You need to give your time, your resources, your energy. You need to sacrifice those things in order to, to find those things. But that's not what Christ says. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says, give everything because you've already experienced love and joy and hope and peace in Christ. You've already received those things. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to, to work hard in order to get it. You have already received it in Christ. So therefore, give. Does that make sense? The order matters. It's not about giving in order to receive those things. It's, it's about being obedient because we have already experienced those things in Christ. It's the proper response to what he's done for us. And so our fruit then is the evidence of our repentance. Our good works are the external evidence of that inward reality of, of, of finding joy in Christ. They point to something greater, which is the, the relationship that we have with the Lord. You see, James in his, in his letter to the, to the church, he says that faith without works is dead. Right? We see that in James chapter 2. Faith without works is dead. It's not, it's not that we need to do things in order to prove our faith, but it's that if our faith is genuine and true, it will naturally result in good works. It will naturally result in a changed and transformed life that begins to reflect Christ more and more. So I think fruit is such a great uh, image for what, is, what, what God is trying to get at here because fruit just grows naturally in the right conditions. Right? You provide sunlight and, and fertile soil and water and nutrients and all those things that, that a plant needs, and it will naturally bear fruit. The plant doesn't have to will fruit into existence. Right? We, don't, we don't manufacture it in some way. 
It just happens. So the same is true for ourselves in our own lives. As we repent, as we experience that relationship with Christ, fruit will naturally happen. We'll begin, our lives will begin to look more and more like Christ as we experience his joy. John later warns that Christ, the Messiah, will come uh, to separate the wheat from the chaff, to separate those with substance from those are not, that have nothing. In other words, those who have repented and, and lived that life of repentance and those that have chosen to not do that. John also teaches us that repentance affects those, affects how we relate to others. See, the Holy Spirit will prompt us to love others the way that we love God. And faith involves both a, a vertical component and a horizontal component. What I mean by that is that as we grow in our faith, we have that relationship with God. That's the vertical component. And as that matures and as we grow in that, then, then our horizontal relationships, are, are how we relate to others in this world, will be transformed and affected as well. And so faith will impact on how we relate to others, especially those in need. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 25 that the way that we treat the least of those among us is the way that we have treated him. So John here begins to rattle off. He says, he says, give to those who lack. Don't abuse or take advantage of people in need. And don't abuse your own power and authority. See, if the gospel isn't good news for the poor, the outcast, or the powerless, then it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our God and the love that God has for us and the joy that we receive from him should inspire us to then treat others the way we would want to be treated. To care for those who are in need and to take care of them because we realize that apart from Christ, we would be in that same position as them. And so, so we are able to extend that joy and share that joy with others by, by treating them the way that we would want to be treated. By going out of our way to share Christ with them. And to take care of their needs in, in, a, in real physical ways. And in doing so, we're able to point people to Jesus. See, John here was often, uh, people often ask John, are you the Messiah? Are you the one that we should be looking for? And over and over again in Scripture, John doesn't point to himself, but he points towards Christ. He says, no, it's not me. You know, I, I'm, I'm baptizing with water, but someone is going to come later on that's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. What he does is going to be so much greater than what I'm doing here. In all things, John was pointing away from himself and towards Christ. You know, a good messenger does not take credit for the message, and that's what John is doing here. And so we also, as we, as we grow in our relationship with Christ, as we experience that joy, we can't just keep it to ourselves. We have to let it go. We have to share that with others. Have we truly experienced God's grace if we, are, if, we're un, if, we, if we want to just hoard it to ourselves? Have we truly experienced joy if we're unwilling to share that joy with others? I mean, think about that. It's often the things that bring us the most joy in life that we are the most willing to then brag about to others, right? We show off pictures of our kids. We talk about what they've done, our grandchildren, right? We share those things because they bring us joy. In the same way, we should point people to Christ. We should share Christ with them because he is the source of our joy. And that's through our words and our actions. Our entire lives should point people to Jesus. The way we treat others, the way we conduct ourselves should point people to Christ. But it also, when that opportunity comes, we should not be afraid to share the gospel as well. In Luke chapter 2, we see 
that the, 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 the shepherds, after they had, they had witnessed the angels in the field, after they had gone to see the Christ child, they went and they told everyone about what they had seen and experienced. They were so filled with joy and wonder and awe that they went and they talked about it to everyone that they could find. In the same way, we, we should be ready and willing to share the hope that we have in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3 encourages us to be ready when that opportunity comes to, to, to give an account for the hope that we have. I'd like to read that passage for you today. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 16. Peter says, Who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, and always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give it the reason for the hope you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. See, revere Christ as Lord, keep your focus on him. And when that happens, we will have an opportunity uh, to share Christ with others. It may come naturally, it may not for you. But when that opportunity comes, we should be ready and willing to share that joy with others. Let's pray. Father, let's, we are so grateful that you are um, our Lord. And we are so grateful that you have filled us with joy and that you take delight in your people. Help us now to share that joy with others. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing in closing number 151, Good Christian Men Rejoice.
want to remind you all that we invite you to stay uh, for our children's Christmas program, which will begin at 1030. Um, and before that begins, we invite you to come over and enjoy some cookies and refreshments in the Heritage Room. Now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.